Good morning. It's still morning time. How, how you doing, Northwest? We are in 2016. This is the year for us that we have dedicated to build building the kingdom, building what God has sown into our hearts, building relationships. And this morning we are going to speak about how to build a strong relationship within the body. I do welcome all the family from Wyatt. I speak from experience that it is a blessing when extended family come and be a part of the dedication. It, it means a lot to the parents. So thank you for being here, and we welcome you. We welcome all of those of you that are listening online um, and all of you that are here. This is a wonderful day. I'm going to be doing church business today, this morning. We're going to be talking um, about the words of Jesus. <clears throat> And so he's talking to his disciples, and we're going to take a short passage of scripture, but know that if you are here and you are a believer, he is talking directly to you. If you are attending this morning and you're um, a seeker or you're someone that's trying to discover if the claims of Christ are true, then I invite you to listen and to see what God has to say, because this, what we're talking about this morning is the truth of what Jesus wants his children to be, how he wants us to act, how he wants us to be one with another. So if you're here and you're not sure about the claims of Christ, I invite you to listen to what Jesus himself said and compare that in your exploration of who Jesus Christ was. So let's begin with Matthew 7, 1. We're going to just go through these verses. I'm going to teach a little bit different this morning, but it's always nice to uh, mix things up a little bit. We're going to use a passage of scripture that everyone, regardless if, if you're religious or if you're not religious, everyone knows the passage, do not judge. Judge not, some translations say, because nobody wants to feel like they've been judged. Now, when I say the word judge, I mean we don't want to feel like we've been sized up and discarded, that, that people have looked at us, looked at the choices we've made, and have said, you know what? I'm walking away from that relationship. No one wants to feel that way. But in the body of Christ, if you are a believer, specifically if you are a member of this church, we have a certain, uh, a certain obligation to honor what Jesus teaches about loving one another and about encouraging one another and about speaking the truth to one another. And it begins with this important principle, this important truth about not judging one another. And so we could actually just close our book and leave right now with do not judge because this is something that most of us struggle with. We struggle with looking at choices that people make and not sizing their whole life up by those choices and walking away from those relationships. But in the body of Christ, we don't have that luxury because we are called, if we are a disciple, we're called to honor the words of our Lord, and we're called to be obedient to those words and to apply them to our own life and not just look at someone else and say, well, that applies to you. So Jesus, of course, had a lot to say about this particular truth, and as I said, he's talking to us directly this morning because we are his disciples, and let's see what he has to say about this. First of all, why do we judge? 
It doesn't feel good to be judged. It doesn't feel good to believe that someone has sussed you up, as they say over in Scotland, uh, or to, to, to look at a choice that you've made and have people go, okay, I know everything there is to know about you, and based on that one choice, I'm out of here. Nobody likes the way that that feels, so why do... Christians judge people. And I'm picking on Christians this morning because number one, I am one, and that's the only authority that I have to speak. But other religions are known for judging as well. And and I can't just say, well, Christians don't judge because one of the reasons that people say they don't like church is because it's full of? Hey, how did you know that answer? Is it common that people look at Christians and Christianity and say, You're such a judgmental people. And clearly we have a mandate from our master when he says, do not judge. So why do we judge? Let's look at some reasons. These are some I've come up with. You might have your own set. Please add those to this list. We judge because we're hypocrites. I could have said I, 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 but I want to include you in some of the fun. So I'm going to say we're. Now, hypocrite means pretender. It's a simple word for that word. It means pretender. That means I say one thing, and I might act like I'm living a certain way, but in my private life, if when I'm around another set of friends, I act in an entirely different way. That's what a hypocrite means. And this is one thing that burned our Lord and Master when he walked on the earth. He did not like people being hypocritical. So we're hypocrites because when someone's sin looks different than my sin, it looks really bad. My sin somehow isn't as offensive to God as your sin is. And it's so easy to get in this hypocritical place of, and, and way of living to where someone else's sin is much, is much worse and much more offensive. I, I even get to the place where when I judge other people that if someone were to ask me, I might think, well, the Lord wouldn't have had to go to the cross just for my sin because my sin's not really that bad. But we know that's not true. We know that our sin, if we were the only one that was ever born, Jesus would still have to die. He would have had to die for my sins because my sin offends his standard of righteousness. And so for me to look at someone else's sin, now we understand that different sin has different consequences, and we walk a path of consequences. We understand the universal truth of reaping and sowing. But if I get this thought in my mind that somehow the things that I do that offend God, that need to be covered in the blood, are less offensive than something that you do, Jesus calls me a hypocrite. Me, a daughter of the king. He still would call me a hypocrite. Why else do we judge? We judge because we're jealous. There's a pastor that I really like, and he said, if sin isn't fun, you're not doing it right. And that's true. There are some things that that Jesus in the do nots and the Ten Commandments, he says, don't do that, don't do that. There's a lot of things he says we can do, but we would be lying if we said that some sin isn't fun. And we look longingly at people that are still sinning, people that that have no conviction that it's wrong, and we somehow longingly think, well, man, I used to do that, and boy, that was so much fun, and I I, I need to stop thinking about it, but how much fun that was. And we wonder when God's going to start judging them. We wonder when they're going to start seeing the reaping of that sin in their life, and we're like, come on, God. 
Come on, God, get them because they're still having fun. And I just wish I didn't want to keep doing it myself. And we get this jealous thing going on. And so we get hypocritical that the way we're acting now is somehow better because we really wish we could still be doing that. God forgive us. And we're self-righteous. That that's, doesn't need any explanation. I, as I've said, if I believe what I'm doing is somehow, the sin that I do is somehow less offensive. So Jesus says, do not judge. And if he left it there, we'd all go home and try to muddle our way through and figure out what are we supposed to do when we see genuine sinful choices that will rob a family of a destiny if they're not confronted and faced. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Okay, well now that's putting it in a little bit different light. I'm not supposed to size you up and write you off because what's going to come back on me is someone's going to be sizing me up and writing me off. Okay, that's a little bit different. One of the things that's popular when you see uh, movies, dramas nowadays, and probably the last decade, is there's this sentence, you don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know my story. So basically they're saying, you can't judge me because you don't know me. And all of us have this sense of, if you're going to judge me, would you please take into consideration all that I am? Would you take into consideration the home I was raised in? The abusive father I had? Would you take into consideration the addictive behaviors that, that, that I've fallen into? Would you take into consideration the fact that I stutter? Would you take into consideration all the things that are about me and judge me mercifully? Would you have mercy on me if you're going to judge me? We all want that. Because it doesn't feel good to be judged. And that's why Jesus said, do not judge, or you too will be judged. It's not a maybe. It's not a, well, sometimes it'll happen, that the judgment. No, he said, you too will be judged when you size people up and write them off. Now, obviously, we're going to have opinions. We're going to see things in someone's life that we know that action, we know those words will produce death in a relationship. Words like divorce and, and, and I hate you and, I, and you're stupid and you're a liar and you're all these things. We know those words bring death in that relationship. We know that. So it's not like we don't have an opinion, but when that opinion leads us within the body of Christ to write that person off when we're called to fellowship together, that's what we're talking about this morning. For the same way that you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure, another translation says, with the standard that you use, the standard that you use to judge someone else, it will be, that same standard will be applied to you. I don't want to be judged at all, but if you have to, please judge me with mercy. Judge me with mercy. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? One of the things that I've noticed um, in this line of work for many, many years, we won't say how many, 
but there's been a few, is that people that are self-righteous have very little self-awareness. It's very hard for someone that is self-righteous thinking about that. I mean what I've already said, that other people are the problem. Other people's sin is the real problem. That person has a real problem with being self-aware. For seeing how they react in a crowd of people, for understanding their impact, their emotional impact on the people around them. And I, there are reasons why we look at the sawdust, or some translations say the speck, in someone else's eye. Let's look at what some of those reasons might be. It's more fun to look at your mess than to think about my mess. It's more fun to, to look and go, oh man, she's got a real problem with that. Man, that gossip, that, that envy, that jealousy. That insecurity is wreaking havoc on that relationship. Man, it's more fun to look at the speck that you got going on. Parent of child, Y2X4. <laughs> See, if we weren't a parent like him, we wouldn't be called to the nursery. <laughs> oh, gosh. We love you, Adam. So another reason, I didn't notice I had any mess going on in my life. I didn't notice I had this giant, huge plank. It was funny, this week I was thinking about the sermon. I asked my husband, Pastor Mark, Honey, will you build, <laughs> Kelly, will you build me this hat? And on this hat, I need to have a, a, a piece of, it can be styrofoam now, honey. <laughs> yes. Sticking out of this hat. And he's just like, no. I'm not going to do that. I'm like, I really need a visual, honey. Come on, it won't. He goes, no, I'm not doing that. And usually he's like, yes, darling, but he, he wouldn't budge on this one. So I guess it would have been ludicrous for me to put that hat on with the big old, but anyway, all right. So I didn't notice I had mess going on because why? And we're going to find out later, but maybe I didn't know. So it's easy for me to look at yours because maybe I didn't know the crap I need to be taken care of. And why didn't I know? Okay. How can you say, he keeps going, how can you say to your brother, let me get that little speck. Hey, you got a little something right there in the corner of your... Now, my husband loves to work with, with, with wood and all this kind of stuff. So there's been many a time I have innocently walked out to the barn just to get affirmation. Like, honey, do you love me or whatever? Hey, can I? Whatever. And he's been wor he's working with wood, and the wind is blowing, and as soon as I walk in the door, ah, I get sawdust in my eye. That's happened so many times. I really seriously cannot tell you how many times that's happened. But I know it feels like it's just a little, little thing, but I'm like, oh, honey, can you see? I, I got some in my eye, but I can't find it. But it is an irritant. And if I don't take care of that little speck, over time, it will do real damage. Anyway, just, so let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's this big, wide, lots of people can see the mess going on in your relationships or in your checkbook or in your choices, but you're like, mm, they're just a little something I need to get out of the way. First, you hypocrite, first. Now he's talking to his beloved disciples. He's not talking to the Pharisees here, although he called them 
this name quite a few times, but here he's talking to us. People that say, I am serving you. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. You have my heart. You have my allegiance. And to us, he's saying, you hypocrite, you pretender. Why are you messing with that little speck when you've got this big problem you need to be working on? But following Jesus never stops with what's in it for me. It never does. I don't care who you've heard say Christianity is about making a better you. That's not where it ends. That's not where it ends. We are to look at when, let me put it this way. When I see that you have a speck in your eye, when I see that you have sin that's causing real damage in your relationships or real harm to your body or real trouble in the way that you're plotting the course of your life because of finances. When I see that, what that should first make me do is go, you know what? I need to step back and I need to examine the things in my life that are grieving God. I need to step back, take a minute. When I see that mess you've created with those choices here, that is supposed to cause me as a disciple to go, okay, now wait. If that's what's happening to them, what, God, what do you see in me? What, if you're, if you're saying there's a plank in my eye, what is it that you're trying to tell me that I need to see? That's obvious, but I'm not seeing. That speck that I notice in you is to cause me to examine my own heart, my own actions, my own choices, my own relationships. But if we stop there, if we say, you know what? Thank you for making a mess of that decision. Thank you for showing me the fruit of that decision. I I got the message. Check. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make the decision that she made. I'm not going to make the choices that family made. I'm going to learn from their mistake, and I'm going to do something different. If we stop there, if that's the sum total of our reason for, for seeing the mess in someone else's life or the fruit of those decisions, we've missed the point. Because Christianity, following Christ, being a disciple will never just be about me. It will always be about others. It will always be about serving others. Jesus said, you know, guys, if you forget everything I've said, if you forget everything, remember this, love one another. Encourage one another. Be tenderhearted with one another. It's about other people. And if I stop when I see a mess that you've made and go, "Mm, gee, I'm not making, okay, I'm learning, I'm learning, check, check, I'm not going to do that. If I stop there and I only mind my own business, I'm missing the point of discipleship. I'm missing the point. The problem with me minding my own business is that it does nothing for the person whose business really does need minding. If someone, if a brother or sister in Christ, I'm not talking about going up to a stranger you have no relationship with. If there's someone that you're in relationship with and you see they're they're making choices that are harming them, that will harm their family, 
that will harm their children. And you go, mm, oh, wow, I see the fruit of that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And you stop there, you're missing the heart of the gospel. Jesus commands us to address our issues, to prepare us to help other people with their issues. This isn't judgmental. It is what? What is it? Obedience. We, we started this series off, and Pastor Mark was talking. He took two weeks to build this thought about culture. What culture are we creating around us? What choices are we making that, are, that is causing us to build line upon line in our life? And part of that culture are people, the people that we make in, as part of our life. But in the culture that we live in in society now, and this is particularly true of millennials, the biggest, the unpardonable sin, we'll call it, with this generation, and it's now the culture that we live in, is that you judge someone for a moral decision that they've made. That's like the worst thing you can do to someone under a certain age is to, to sound like you are being judgmental. But if we're going to honestly follow Christ, there's a line that we have to cross in love after we've examined our own heart, after we've taken that, that, that sinful thought out of our, that sinful habit, that practice, whatever the plank is that the Lord has revealed to us, we can't stop there. We have to keep going. And it's not judgmental when we do what Jesus has asked us to do the way he asks us to do it. It's being obedient. So if we have to rewire our mind to understand this truth so that we can step out in obedience, that might be what we need to do. There's three kinds of people sitting here today, and I honestly think I fit in all three categories, unfortunately. The first category is those of us who size people up write them off. The Bible calls them the self-righteous. That is the person that needs to know that their sin breaks God's heart. That's the person that needs to remember that their sin took Christ to the cross. If the sin of others, other brothers and sisters, doesn't break your heart, Sometimes I fit in this category because I, 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 I deal with counseling a lot. And sometimes it just kind of gets, oh, well, you know, you've heard it before and you've seen the pattern before and you, and you can kind of get cold to it. Not that you need to get over hyper-involved with everyone's problems, but there, comes, there can be this, well, they knew better, they did it anyway. And kind of like a, a, I don't know what the word is. Coldness isn't quite it, but... But I definitely get to the place where you think, well, gee, I've never done anything that bad. And that breaks the Father's heart. So the, the, the remedy for this, to where my heart can beat again, for the situation that other people find themselves in, is, is for me to repent. For me to remember that it was my sin 
that took him to the cross. So there's one type of people sitting here that you think, you know what, I've sized that brother up. I sit with him in cell every, every week, and he just makes the same stupid mistake over and over again. You know what, I'm just not going to have anything else to do with him. I'm not going to have anything else to do with him. And we see that that's the truth when you're dealing with people that are not in fellowship with you, that are outside the church, outside, uh, not a Christian or whatever. There, there are different places and times and seasons for that. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about people that walk together in fellowship. And if we write them off, if we size them up, I know what you've done. We don't judge them mercifully. We judge them with a higher standard than we hold ourselves to. The Bible says we need to repent. We need to ask God to wash us, our sin away, our offense against God away. Second type of person are those of us who size people up and you walk away. This, I think, is a huge, I'll just say this is a huge problem for Christians because this person says, I'm just going to mind my own business. I'm just going to, you know what, uh, yeah, uh, sucks to be them. I wish, I wish they'd know better, you know, but I'm just going to mind my own business. This is an affront to the sacrifice that Jesus made because he did all of this so that we can in love encourage and confront and, and, and tenderly forgive and be a part. And sometimes we use prayer. I'm going to pray for that girl. I'm going to pray for that situation. And we use that as an excuse to not confront. And depending on your personality, we might hate that word, confrontation. We might come up with other words like, well, let's just face the situation. But because confrontations never, ever, ever, ever go the way we think they will, they never do. They just, they just, we, we don't want to do it. Because it's awkward to have that conversation when you say, Hey, you know, I really love you, but let's, can we talk about that choice that you're making that you're not thinking about what that will do to your children. You're not thinking about starting that will become a habit, and that habit really will, this will be, you, nobody wants to have that conversation because it's awkward. But love, obedience demands that we not mind our own business after we've examined our own heart, after we've gotten ourselves right with God, now we have to get right with one another. And it's awkward. It's awful. It's, I've never had a confrontation that I've enjoyed. Sometimes the fruit of it is good. Sometimes you just do it out of obedience. Sometimes it's... But it's always awkward. And we let the fact that it's not comfortable... We let the fact that we don't quite know what to say, how do you even start the conversation? It's, we let that stop us from actually obeying what Christ has told us to do. So it's none of my business. And I certainly don't have the personality for a confrontation. I'll just let somebody who doesn't mind pissing people off take care of this problem. I'll let my cell leader do it. I'll let the pastors do it. We have our fair share, and I've hated every single one of them. But love, obedience, demands. I follow what Christ has asked me to do. Every confrontation is awkward and doesn't go perfectly. But this is what love requires.
This is what love requires. This isn't you sticking your nose into somebody else's business. If you're in relationship, you've seen a speck, you've taken that massive, whether it's pride, whether it's action, whatever, that massive plank out, and you've tentatively thought, okay, I need to say something. I hate this. I need to say something. But love compels me not to let you race off, lickety-split, down a road that will lead to destruction. I don't have any control over what you do, but I have to say what love compels me to say. And no, it's not going to sound pretty. Would you just let me come to you? Let me just try to get it out, and we'll work through it. But please know that I love you. Man, it's tough. This is what love requires. The third group of us are someone has come to us in love, having that awkward conversation, trying to figure out how to start. And the first thing we've done is, who do they think they are? What do they think? They don't have, they're, not supposed, they're not responsible. I don't have to listen to this. And we judge the person who is trying to come to us in love and humility, and we judge them. And we don't listen because we're embarrassed. And they're not doing it right anyway. They said it wrong. They didn't say the right thing. They don't really love me. And we don't listen. Defensiveness ensures that your past will continue to show up in your future. It's guaranteed if you will not listen when people that love you, a friend that loves you comes and says, I just, I'm just saying, I've noticed this. And I, I'm your friend. We sit together at church. And I don't quite know how to say it, and it's so embarrassing to even bring it up, but I do love you. I love your children. I want the best for your marriage. And these choices will produce death. These choices will produce, man, it's a tough conversation to have. Why does Jesus ask us to do it? Why does he say, okay, don't judge. Don't size people up. Don't write people off. Don't walk away from that relationship. But don't mind your own business. After I've pointed out the sin in your heart and we have a clean slate, don't let your friend run off a cliff without saying something. Just start the conversation. If all you can do is cry your way through it, they'll at least know that you care. They don't have to accept your words. They're free to say, thank you for your input. See ya. But your obedience and your love compels you to say those things. Would you stand with me, please? Sometimes we need to give permission to each other to be that friend that if they see a speck, if they see something, 
say, well, why do they have to point out a speck? Why don't they wait till it gets... Are you the person that's just like, you know what? I've told them a couple times already. They just keep doing it. I'm just, I'm done with it. Well, I don't know. You size people up and you walk away. Are you the person that sizes them up and says, hmm, man, I, I, you know what? I see the mess they've made, and the mess they've made is making me think, you know what? I got a few messes of my own to clean up. I got some things of my own I need to straighten out, take care of, and that's all the farther you take it because it's about your betterment. It's about your life. It never quite gets to the place where your love is mature, your love is full grown, where you care about other people. Remember, he said, forget, if you forget everything else, don't forget to love deeply. Love each other deeply. That's the only thing people are going to see that tells them, I am alive. I am still alive. When they see how you are with each other, and love compels us, if we see something that's causing our sister and our brother to stumble, can we get past our uncomfortableness and say, sister, we're in this together. I'm not going anywhere, and I don't want you to go anywhere. Let me just say this thing I don't really want to say. And if someone comes to you, because we've all had people come to us, we all have. There's not a person sitting here, I hope, that has not had someone, a mentor, a friend, a cell leader, a pastor, a boss, that hasn't come and said, you know what, this is something we need to work on. We've all been there. But what's our response? Like, no, don't tell me, thank you, but I know I see the stuff going on in your life, and I don't think you've got any right to say anything to me. No, we need to listen. This is a sermon for the body. This is what Christ demands of us. And like I said, if you're here and you're not a believer, this is the Jesus you need to get to know. Because he has children that, he, that, he, that love him and our love for him should be displayed in the things that we do, the choices that we make, and how we love one another, how well and how deeply we love each other. Let's pray together. Father, I'm asking that you search our heart. Help us to see what we cannot see. May the spirit of life that is in us reveal anything in us that breaks your heart. Anything in us that stops the flow of your blessing from pouring out of our lives, from pouring out of our mouth, from everything that we touch. If there's any hypocrisy, any coldness of love, any attitude that I just need to be better myself and let everybody else take care of them own selves. Father, if there's any of that, I ask that you point it out to us so that we can repent. 
so that our cold heart can be warm again with a Christ that is alive. Father, I thank you that you do not leave us helplessly wandering about in the dark, but your word and your spirit give us light and show us what to do. So, Father, I pray as people go to their groups this week or as we have our private devotions, as we have coffee with friends, that these words will resonate, that we'll begin to discuss what stops us from really loving each other. We put aside any fear that exposes how shallow our love is. We put aside the things that we should not fear, which is someone's opinion, and we focus on you, the God that we serve, and obedience. Father, I thank you that everything that we do and say is to be wrapped in love. And the way that you love us, the way that you show mercy on us, the way that your blood covers our sin is the way that we are to love others. Father, help us help this church to be a reflection of that love, a reflection of that obedience and that devotion to the one who gave everything to us. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. We repent. We choose to obey you. We choose to love each other deeply in honor of what you're doing in our life. We refuse a gospel that says it's just about a better me. It's about each other and loving one another. And we embrace that. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Father. Amen. We send blessing your way. We love you. We have some exciting things ahead. And go build a life that's pleasing to God. Amen.